This episode is sponsored by Hired.com. Are you searching for a new job? That can be stressful, scary, and time-consuming. Pushy recruiters try to sell you on roles you don't actually want, and the job boards make you feel like you're throwing your resume into a black hole never to be seen again. And sometimes you go all the way through the interview process just to find out at the very end that the salary, offer, or company culture doesn't match what you're looking for. Hired is the world's most intelligent talent-matching platform for full-time and contract opportunities in engineering development, design, product management, data science, sales, and marketing. We make your job search faster, focused, and stress-free. Instead of endlessly applying to companies and hoping for the best, Hired puts you in control of when and how you connect with compelling new opportunities. After completing one simple application, top employers apply to hire you. And on Hired, you receive personal interview requests and upfront salary information so you can make informed decisions about what opportunities to pursue over a condensed timeline. Hired offers access to more than 4,000 innovative employers, including big brand names like Facebook and smaller emerging startups. The size and type of company you want to connect with is totally up to you. And we help you find new opportunities in 17 major cities in North America, Europe, Asia, and Australia. Open to relocation? Let them know. Your privacy and autonomy in your job search is of utmost importance. And if you sign up today using the show's link, that's Hired.com slash you can get double the normal hiring bonus. That's $600 instead of $300. So go check them out at Hired.com slash RubyRogues. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another My Ruby Story. This week, we're talking to Amir Rajan. Amir, you want to say hi? Hello, everyone. Now, you have kind of an interesting history, and I'm, I'm trying to remember exactly, you know, because we've, we've run into each other a couple of times. I think the first time I met you was actually you came on Entreprogrammers and talked about a dark room. Yes, yeah, yeah, I did. Um, and that was back in, can you believe it's been, it was like 2013, 2014? So Holy it's been, it's, yeah, it's been a while. That's, it has been a while. That's interesting. Yeah, and then we had you come on episode 272 of Ruby Rogues, and you talked about game development, Ruby Motion. And that was in August of 2016. Yep. I guess you're due. It's been about a year. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it's got to be on that on that metronome. It's like, oh, it's been a year. Got to got to sync up with the guys. <laughs> well, the thing is, is that especially in like the Ruby space, I, I don't think there are really great options for writing mobile apps in Ruby, except for Ruby Motion. Um, Correct. I, yeah. I think there's an Android one, and I can't remember what it's called or if it's still maintained. Yeah, it's Rubato, and um, it it. From what I know, it's not being maintained, or from what I remember, it wasn't being maintained. I actually tried using Roboto uh, before before Ruby Motion went cross-platform, and um, uh, I think it's it, it was good for for small apps. But once you get into some heavy, a lot of the heavy stuff that I was doing in ADR, uh, it just it just was too much data and too much processing to to actually be handled. Yeah. So. Yeah, it looks like there's still commits on the repo, but yeah. Anyway, it was just it was interesting because uh, Ruby Motion is by far the one that I hear the most about, and so I kept thinking, okay, well, you know, yeah, we we should follow up on this because um, the the world of programming is expanding beyond just you know where we use Ruby, so beyond web development, beyond DevOps, and you know IoT is becoming a thing, and you know we have mobile, and I mean you know I, I'm I'm really looking forward to some of the AI capabilities coming to Ruby. Um, you know, yeah, and I think it's Im- incredibly important. It's incredibly important just to just to realize that you know Ruby just isn't for you know the web, yep. but um, the just 
it, it really is a beautiful language, like as far as aesthetics and everything. And then uh, just finally, you know, uh, I guess um, uh, no, uh, probably not news for for people in the Ruby community, but I actually own uh, Ruby Motion. Now I'm the CEO of a uh, of Ruby Motion. I, I like to call myself a steward of Ruby Motion, so more of like a shepherd steward kind of person, as opposed to like someone that leads. It's more of a you know partnership with everyone. And, uh, you know, just being in the weeds, um, knee deep and having skin in the day in the game. But yeah, I mean, it's just beautiful to see the language, um, expand past just being, you know, just being for websites. And, uh, even, even Ruby Kaige, uh, 20, 2016, uh, when I presented there, you know, just, just seeing MRuby, uh, again, I guess Ruby for game development and just kind of, uh, where Ruby is starting to be used. Uh, it's just great. Uh, you know, it's, it's nice. It's nice to see this kind of, uh, resurgence from that yeah. perspective. Absolutely. And yeah, I remember hearing that you had taken it over from Laurent and mm-hmm. yeah, it, it's, I mean, you know, in, in one sense it was like, you know, he had created it and it was his baby and, you know, I was a little bit sad that he, you know, passed it along. But at the same time, I mean, if you want to move on to other things, it's nice to see that somebody else is out there to carry the torch and, give us something awesome. So, yeah. And I I love it. Like from, from the perspective, you know, I took some time to really do some soul searching before, you know, all this, uh, all this went down. Mm -hmm. But uh, at the end of the day, I was like, you know, this is, uh, this is kind of like a fit fits my, uh, fits my hand like a glove. Right. Yep. So Ruby, Ruby has that aesthetic to it. And, um, I I find it pretty difficult to, you know, even move away or walk away from, from the language, just, it's yeah. it's part of me. Makes sense. Well, um, we've kind of rambled a little bit about uh, Ruby and and where Ruby belongs, um, but this show is about your story. So it's it, you know um, we can talk all day, I guess, about where Ruby's headed, and and I think you know there are lots of interesting things to do, and we'll definitely uh, have you back on Ruby Rogue so that we can you know jump into that and see where Ruby's going with mobile. But I'd I really like to focus on you and your story and uh, where where you've kind of come from, um, especially since you've you, your history with Ruby and the things that you've accomplished or the things that people would know you for is, is a sort of different set from the kinds of things that I usually talk to people about. So, yes, yeah. So let's go ahead and dive in. Um, how did you get started with programming? So I got started with programming. Uh, I thought it was programming initially. Was I, got, I had my 386. Mm-hmm. And um, I was trying to install a Wing Commander uh, on my on my th- uh, on my pathetic little 386 uh, computer with the turbo button. It had a turbo button, so this was a Wing Commander <laughs> two, and um, it, you know it came with this like green booklet. And I was like, all right, so it says uh, CD C colon, and I was like, all right, I can do this. <laughs> yeah. So I put the CD in, and you know, and I was doing that. And then, you know, I typed the install, you know, install.exe command in it, mm-hmm. and it was like, I don't have enough space on the computer. So I was like, huh, I don't have enough space. What does that mean? So then, you know, I asked a couple of my uh, uh, friends, and we, we were all like, you know, just kids trying to, trying to geek around this computer. And I, end up, and I ended up deleting, like, Windows 3.1 on it, so I only had DOS on the computer <laughs> at that point. <laughs> but I had enough space to install Win Commander. And... Um, and that was like, hey, I'm programming, like I'm entering stuff into this, you know, computer and then, you know, it's doing stuff. And I ended up deleting like the uh, parts of the operating system. It was, it was awesome because because I learned how to 
uh, it's like, okay, what's the file size? Oh, this file is really big. I'm going to delete it. <laughs> and the my next thing you know, it's like, would have killed me. Oh no, no. My dad was really pissed, really pissed. <laughs> um, uh, so, I mean, he, he got it reinstalled and everything. And then, you know, he ended up buying like a larger hard drive, uh-huh. um, you know, whopping like a hundred, 200 meg or a hard drive or something. And it costs like half a grand. Yeah. Right. To buy that hard drive. And, uh, so it got, I got windows back installed back, but I was like, Hey, I'm going to delete it again. And, you know, try again. And, um, <laughs> and actually was able to reinstall it myself. And, um, so it was fun. So I thought that was programming. And then it was only like towards, uh, towards high school when I realized that what I was doing wasn't, you know, wasn't real. It was using computer. I was being a pretty avid literate computer user, but it wasn't generally programming. Mm-hmm. So, um, my first, exploration programming was actually like a business development course. It was like a business programming course. And we were given um, Visual Basic uh, 4 and Visual Basic 5. And we built applications using that. And, it, and it's pretty uh, it's pretty funny because, you know, I would geek, geek around. I absolutely loved it. Um, but I didn't understand the concept of variables. Mm-hmm. So, so what I would do is um, I would say like, man, I need to store this thing for later. So I would put a, I knew how to drag and drop, right? So I would drag and drop a WinForms, like a label onto the screen. So I'd drag and drop a label onto the screen. I'd hide it in a corner <laughs> and I would, I would set the text property to like, you know, whatever value right. I wanted. And that was my variable. So I was like, so I would have like almost like 50 labels just hidden off in the corner trying to keep track oh, of like, just <laughs> so so that's uh, so that was kind of my like start uh, uh, in, in programming or uh, evolving uh, from that perspective, and then and then after that, um, uh, well, another interesting was well, StarCraft Two came out that that was around ninety eight, and um, it had a map editor, so you mm-hmm. could actually create your own campaigns. And um, my next step was like, man, I want to really I want to try to make my own storyline or campaign. So I would, you know, draw the map and I really enjoyed like the visual aspect of like drawing, uh, drawing those maps and stuff. And then I was like, okay, I've got this door and I wanted to open this, this virtual door to open when a Marine came through the door and you had to use like uh, almost like a scripting event based, uh, quasi DSL to actually get that working. So then that was my next like aha moment with regards to programming and um, so I would like highlight like the hot zone for the area and, and say like when Marine enters this area and unit type is is Marine and not Zergling, then right. open the door. And I was like, oh, this is so cool. This is this is so much better than than putting uh, <laughs> hidden, <laughs> hidden, hidden text boxes and stuff. So um, it kind of it kind of grew from there. And then that's when I started looking at uh, we'll see in C++ and. And uh, I got uh, Visual Studio 6, 6.0 came out around that time period. Um, so I, I scrambled together like the, the small amount of money that I had, my allowance, and got a uh, Visual C++ 6.0. So I couldn't, I couldn't afford the entire suite. So I went to Computer City and, and then found, found the Visual Studio uh, uh, 6 uh, C++ book. I mean, uh, uh, software. And then mm-hmm. you know, installed that on my then IBM Aptiva which had two gigabytes of hard drive space was awesome. Nice. So, uh, so yeah. And then, you know, I just started, uh, I guess I, I had to go to a library, right. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, a lot of information really wasn't readily available online and, you know, just got like dummies books and, and, uh, random like, uh, C books and try to reason through like building, building these kind of applications. And, um, I still didn't understand programming then uh, because I was, 
again, trying to teach myself. So another funny story. I, I promise I've become a better developer since then. I swear to you. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but I didn't understand the concept of a function. So I, I knew what void did. And, you know, like you, the, the first program you write is like C out hello world, right? So I, I figured out variables and I figured out, uh, I figured out like how to actually store things in variables, but I didn't understand functions. So whenever I had to like carve out some information, I would put it in like a void method mm-hmm. and then I would throw an exception and then catch it in the, in the, in the parent code to get the return value. So I would pass, <laughs> I would pass in values and then I'll throw an exception and I knew th- and, and the method would always throw the exception so that I would catch it on the, on the receiving side and I would inspect the inspection to, or exception to actually extract, extract my return value. So that was a, that was a, a very special time for me. Um, and then finally I learned how to use functions and I can actually say, wow, I can actually return an integer. I don't have to throw an exception that contains an integer for me to, for me to actually use it. So that was my um, that was my next uh, foray into uh, into that stuff. And then by then I was like, yeah, this is what I want to do. I went to college and you know got my uh, degree in software engineering and computer science, and uh, you know then like entered the work for workforce doing uh, doing uh, at that point Visual Basic six and and uh, SQL Server stuff. So um, that's kind of that's kind of how I got started, I guess. So that's really funny. Text boxes exceptions. Starcraft and and then and then I was like maybe I should like really learn how to do this stuff. <laughs> right. So do you have a degree in computer science or? Yeah, yeah, I, I have a degree in computer science and software engineering. So the the funny thing was that um, my degree actually started off uh, on the C plus uh, plus track, and during that time it, the transition was happening. Like Java was becoming like a real thing, and so the uh, ABIT accredited degree I actually had to retake my classes in Java to get the ABIT accredited version of my degree. And of course it, it means absolutely nothing now. Like I, uh, you, you think about it, it's like, okay, I, I graduated from college and I still didn't understand programming really. But, um, but yeah, I have an ABIT accredited degree in software engineering and computer science. <laughs> nice. So, um, yeah. And then, yeah, my first place, uh, was basically like visual basic and, um, and uh, SQL Server. So I spent a lot of my time uh, in SQL. Uh, I still, I, I'm really thankful for that first job. It was, it was an internship, but uh, my SQL chops got really, really good during that during that time period because it was basically take this forms over data, and then everything was stored procs and reports and you know backend processing. Mm-hmm. So there was a man. It was a payroll company, payroll insurance. So there was an immense amount of like time cre- time card tracking, clock in, clock out, all done in SQL. And then uh, Visual Basic was just like, you know, get the data, set, store it into a record set, send it to the database, and do all your processing over there. But um, surprisingly, this is nothing to do with, uh, nothing to do with Ruby. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but that, that's kind of that's how it evolved. And I actually stayed on the .NET stack. Um, my career was pretty much be- uh, built on converting legacy applications to the next version of, of .NET. So it was like, or um, um, the next version of Microsoft Tech. So I went from VB6 to uh, VB.net, and then C Sharp became a thing in like 2001, 2002. And so then it was like, all right, let's convert all of our VB.net code to C Sharp. So that did that, and then it was like, okay, well, we want to go to 
uh, we want to go to web now. So then it's like take all of our thick, thick line WinForm C sharp code and then turn it into WebForm C sharp. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, that, that continued evolving. So it was only, in, it was, it was not until, uh, 2010 that I actually like started using Ruby, which is, which is crazy. And, um, in 2010, the way I ended up using Ruby was actually doing build automation for .NET projects. So we had basically on win, on, on the Windows stack, uh, Rails kind of worked, but not really. Um, and we had uh, batch scripts, so we didn't have shell on Windows. Uh-huh. Um, and trying to do anything uh, outside of like an if-else statement in, in batch was incredibly painful. Uh, we had MS Build, which was like Nant, which was like XML-based build stuff and trying to code in XML is <laughs> also not fun at all. <laughs> yeah. So, so, um, yeah, so basically it was like, okay, well, uh, win 32 console works and, uh, the win 32 APIs, as far as like our, um, the file utils APIs for, for Ruby were cross platform. So we ended up using uh rake for our build automation. So we did a ton of abstract. There was a, at that point it was, a um, there was a library called Albacore that kind of codified some of the .NET, uh-huh. .NET build stuff. But it, it was a lot of um, build automation with Rake, um, uh, codifying like concepts in Jenkins and Team Foundation Server and like pulling builds and pulling archives. So you'd have this concept of here's an archive, here's a version, how do you deploy this? So all of that stuff, all my all my uh, Ruby Rubyisms came from, came from uh, trying to codify like build automation in Rake. So, um, so my rails experience this is actually surprisingly next to nothing. Um, so I was like, Oh, how much rails experience? I like, oh, not, not really a lot. Maybe like I did rails for like eight months at one point. Um, and so, but they're like, wait, but you have, you have, you know, five years of Ruby experience. So I was like, Oh, build automation. <laughs> I can, I can automate like, like no other. Uh, but the interesting thing was that I actually like learned Ruby as opposed to, as opposed to learning rails. So I came, I came from the other direction of being a Rubyist and um, and kind of evolved my chops from that perspective. That's really uh, so, funny because uh, if I remember, right, Albacore was written by my friend Derek Bailey. Yeah, Derek. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So so he he wrote Albacore. So I mean, and we were all, uh, a lot of the .dot net uh, a lot of the .dot net community was kind of in this holding pattern where like everything with regards to build is terrible. It's absolutely terrible. PowerShell just came out and it looks like someone, you know, threw up with toothpicks in their mouth. It was just not a very happy, like from an aesthetic <laughs> standpoint, it was not a good language. Um, uh, so, I mean, yeah, you could do PowerShell, but it, it wasn't something that was enjoyable. Uh, so like Ruby f- fit this, fit this niche really well for, uh, for having like a script based language that, you know, let us, afforded us the ability to put some sanity around all this terrible stuff out there. So, um, yeah, that's kind of how it started. And then the, the interesting thing was like, we had our spec tests around our rake scripts. I mean, it got complex enough to where we actually had a, had some legitimate, you know, uh, test suites, but they were around build automation. So then I, you know, I really enjoyed our spec. I was like, Oh, this Uh is beautiful. And I created, uh, I created a version of our spec for .NET called NSpec. And it, it, it leveraged, um, all the Lambda capabilities within C sharp and, um, even use parts of the dynamic language runtime. So I, I started like backing into and uh, discovered dynamic typing 
by lever by making C sharp dynamic. So I got method missing working on dynamic on, on oh, wow. C sharp. Yeah, it was freaking awesome. Uh, I got method missing working. Um, uh, I, I got a concept of like an open struct uh, type concept working in C sharp that you know quack like a duck, and it w- it was lots of fun. So um, so the funny thing was that I actually looked at Rails to kind of see how they handled some of their like uh, attributes and DTO stuff. Uh, for shoveling across JSON from you know different areas or pulling th- things out of the database, so again, it's like I didn't use Rails, but but there were like aspects of the underpinnings of Rails of how Active Record worked and some mm-hmm. of those things that it was I was able to like kind of pull and extract, and then I bent C sharp to my will to uh, uh, to make it to make it do what I want, and then everyone was terrified of the code that I'd write because you'd see dynamic and then suddenly you don't get IntelliSense <laughs> and no compile time checking. It's like, it's awesome. Look, you can just do whatever you want in there. It's the best thing in the world. So, um, so, it was, so at that point, I think I, I, that was my, I guess, turning point for really looking at Ruby primarily because m- mentally I felt, I felt that, um, I guess, I guess I felt software engineering and software development was more, less engineering and more artistic and creative from that perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I'm sure people can debate it, debate it in every, every direction possible. But as far as how I perceived software development, it felt more of an artistic and creative medium as opposed to something that's, that's a pin, at least business, business app development. It didn't feel that's pinned into the formal like proof-based stuff that, that I learned in, um, in, in school. So, and, and I kind of felt that Ruby had the malleability that I needed in, in my, to, to, to express myself in this said medium. Right. So I I find it interesting. I mean, you kind of came into Ruby through an unconventional path and you keep saying, I never really did rails. So yeah, I mean, did you just were, were you continually working in the .NET world then, and just using Ruby where it made sense, or did yeah. you eventually go whole hog Ruby? Well, uh, I eventually just quit my job and sold sold everything and went on a sabbatical. <laughs> but before <laughs> that, <laughs> no, but before that, uh, what what ended up happening was, um, yeah, basically my my day in and day out was you know .NET, SQL Server, ASP.NET, MVC, and all that stuff. So where Ruby fit in was basically, all right, well, I want to do, um, I want to do build automation or I want to test my, uh, REST API. So, you know, trying to, trying to use HTTP client that requires like a strongly typed DTO to map to, to do all this stuff. It was like, this is so not fun. I'd rather just have a dictionary that came back and, you know, I can assert on some things. So then when it came time to uh, go to production, we had to look at, okay, well, what does production data look like? Uh, you know, I'd be behind my DMZ and I have a ton of these rake scripts that would, you know, make HTTP calls, do the, do the linking from hypermedia and like get additional information to try to figure, try to figure out like what kind of data I was getting back. And, uh, I used, I used Ruby to like cut all that up and, uh, potentially make changes just over an HTTP endpoint. And, um, but yeah, it was, it was weird to just kind of see, uh, to kind of use Ruby that way as almost like a, like a pocket knife MacGyver type approach um, and do that instead of actually using it to, you know, build web applications. So it was more like a support, uh, support role for me, but it made me incredibly efficient. Uh, that was one thing that I realized while people were in trying to 
clean their bills and delete files and try to, you know, jiggle all the right bits to deploy something, I'd have a rake script that would just, you know, work or I'd have a endpoint that I could call and say, okay, yeah, I'm going to reset myself to an administrator or some, you know, varying customer role without ever having to open up some management studio or some other thing mm-hmm. to, to execute some stuff. So it turned, it ended up being a very, uh, an efficiency tool for me. And, uh, yeah, I pushed it really far from that perspective. So how did you get into Ruby motion then? So, um, so yeah, basically, um, around, around 2013 is where I started getting this like identity crisis about, you know, the languages that I've used and kind of this, this, uh, this other world that I haven't had an experience because of course I started getting into Ruby and then that means I started getting, getting into more shell scripts, more Linux environments. And then I was like, wow, these things are, you know, it's night and day difference. And these, these two worlds evolved in parallel um, and they ended up in different places. Uh, I, I was going to say I'm not going to. I was going to be political and say, yeah, I'm not. Uh, each each place mm-hmm. is better, but oh man, Linux and Ruby is so much better than any of the .NET .NET crap I've done. But um, but yeah, I just kind of went there and I was like, okay, well, there seems to be there seems to be um, a more open mentality to how to approach solving problems that isn't specifically related to some higher you know, governing authority telling me this is how you should write software. So at that point, I was like, okay, I need to take a break and kind of reflect on where I want my career to go. And that's when I took the time to, you know, step back and say, okay, I'm not going to do .NET. I'm going to buy a Mac and um, I'm going to not boot into boot camp because I, I had a Mac and I would literally mm-hmm. boot into boot camp and never use OS, OS 10. So I was like, I'm not going to boot into boot camp and I'm just going to use the Mac side and I'm going to do only things that are not .NET. So during like that first three month period, it was an exploration of Ruby. Um, my, uh, I, I did front end JavaScript, but I started doing more Node, um, a little bit of Java, and you know Scala and Closure was was coming coming up around then too. So exploring Closure and basically kind of went on um, went on a, a language feel, and um, uh, I became really proficient in a lot of things. But I always ended up coming back to Ruby. And uh, I just really wanted to get into iOS development at that point. Um, I wanted to build an app just because, you know, I wanted to have that experience under my belt. And uh, I had the option of writing Objective-C or or at that point, RubyMotion was really the only other option other than Xamarin. But that was C-sharp. That was literally what I was trying to get away from. So um, it was those three options. And I was like, I'm not writing Objective-C after doing it enough. I was like, yeah, this is, this is, I get Objective-C and I understand like the nuances of it and the benefits and uh, the, the reasoning behind it, but Ruby just feels like a better language overall. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's when I started doing Ruby for mobile. And then um, I built, uh, I built the iOS version of a darkroom and uh, put it in the app store. It goes viral, hits the number one spot. And you know, that's, that's all she wrote at that point. And I, so I can, I can, I guess I can say that I am, uh, the most successful Ruby game dev in the world, uh, which is probably not saying, but there's probably two of us <laughs> out there, but, but, um, it was great. Like, um, and uh, again, this, uh, I guess it, I kind of focus in on this artistic aspect of, of software development, specifically being games, right? So I'm using, I'm using a more aesthetically pleasing language and then I'm exploring, I'm, uh, I'm exploring a domain that isn't, isn't uh, grounded in 
quote unquote real world stuff, right? Like taxes or scheduling mm-hmm. or something, a random variation like that. And it just all felt, felt good together. It felt really good, um, getting in those things. And then that's where, uh, that's where a lot of my, you know, real, real, uh, I wouldn't say hardcore Ruby, but it was just different Ruby work, but that's, that's when ma- the majority of, uh, of the code that I wrote was, was Ruby as opposed to just being, you know, a supplementary tool. Right. And we talked a bit about your story getting into writing a dark room and uh, things like that in in the episode that you did. I'm curious, though, if you could just give somebody like the, the two minute pitch on what a dark room is so that they kind of have an idea of what we're yeah, talking definitely. about. So a dark room is a it was a minimalist text based RPG. Uh, I originally came out on web and it was simple enough as far as the UI and aesthetics that I felt like I could tackle it as a first application. Um, 25,000 lines of Ruby later, I was like, uh, this was not a simple, simple, (laughs) simple application, but you know, it was, it was fun to do. Um, and I got it deployed to the app store and then out of nowhere, it just goes, it just goes viral. Like, uh, uh, that was, that was, how can you, how can you expect a game that has no pictures, no sounds, nothing. And it's this like hardcore, hardcore Zork based Zork type roguelike, uh, ASCII adventure game on a, you know, $700 device. And suddenly it's, it's like the number one app overall. Uh, so that was, that was just freaking awesome when that happened. And then I, I built more games after that. I was just like, all right, well, uh, the sabbatical just got extended. So I'm just going to do more stuff in Ruby and build more games. And, uh, that's kind of, that's kind of what I've been doing. I mean, I pick up contract work here and there. And, uh, the interesting thing is that because of my background, uh, I have a, I have a really good, uh, I guess, peripheral vision. Mm-hmm. So if you're a .NET shop that wants to look at migrating some of your stuff to not .NET, suddenly, you know, I was, I was the niche, niche, uh, person that could, that could talk both languages and coordinate those kind of teams. Right. And, uh, and then, uh, you know, just knowing mobile and then, uh, getting to the point where I was proficient in languages that were not that were not just Ruby and C sharp. Uh, I almost, I guess I became a quasi game developer, hyper polyglot kind of, uh, kind of a persona. And, uh, but yeah, um, mostly game development. And then when I feel like picking up, when I have an itch to pick up some, some contract work here and there, I'll do, uh, literally, you know, any language you could, any, any one of the latest and greatest languages, uh, that are, that are out there. Um, like last year, um, I did a, I did a stint at, uh, match.com and we did, uh, it was completely front end development react. So they had a ASP.NET NBC application that want, they wanted to migrate at least the front, front end or, over and use their, you know, backend.NET APIs. So again, there is like this weird beast that they needed of a developer that could speak.NET, could understand how to do that stuff, but still, you know, do other things. And, and, uh, I ended up doing Node and React, but, cooperating with um working with the .net .net stack on the back end. So it was it was just cool from that nice. standpoint. So yeah, so you've you've been doing all kinds of stuff it sounds like. One thing that I'm interested in is um what contributions do you feel like you've made to the Ruby community as a whole? I mean, is it mostly this this kind of bridging technology? Um I know you've made contributions in the area of Ruby motion especially since you've taken it over. Um but but where would you kind of categorize what you've uh, contributed yeah frankly uh, that's I, I think one of my biggest regrets uh, with regards to the ruby community um i do a lot of presentations so as far as like 
you know, talking about Ruby outside of the Ruby community and like just the benefits of thinking about uh, thinking outside of the box, uh, mm-hmm. whatever whatever you consider to be your box, and um, trying to bring some of the ethos of Ruby to other communities is ironically the contribution I made. Um, so not directly to the Ruby community, but saying, hey, you need to rethink, you need to think about how you think about problems, right? And uh, here's an example of how thinking about problems differently leads to uh, potentially more elegant solutions or just solutions that you may not have considered before. Uh, so, uh, and my biggest regret was that instead of spending all that time maybe doing a testing framework that was Lambda-based or doing, uh, you know, making C-sharp implement the DLR, I could have, I could have contributed to those, um, to those uh, languages, right? To, to the frameworks that I was trying to clone into, into the .NET stack. Mm-hmm. So, um, I mean, it was an interesting learning experience from that perspective, uh, just getting the underpinnings of it. But um, that, would, that was, I guess, one of my big regrets. But the benefits being that I was, ex- I was explaining the benefits of, of Ruby to non-Ruby developers. So, won some hearts over from that perspective. Right. That makes sense. So, um, so yeah. So, what are you working on now? So, I'm doing, uh, again, it's, it's this weird thing. I just picked up uh, uh, just a little side contract, contract thing, and I'm doing F-sharp. So, I'm doing, I'm doing uh, mostly, mostly F-sharp, and then with, with regards to RubyMotion, a, uh, a lot of my code on that is uh, C and LLVM. So, you, I'm started getting into like these weird ancillary areas of, of, uh, I, I understand how Ruby is built now, right? So if you think about how Matsumoto felt when, when he was like, okay, I'm going to build Ruby, uh, the, the pains and, you know, the trials and tribulations he had to go to, go through to create a runtime and a language that provides the aesthetics that it, that it has. So I'm kind of, again, this weird, this weird um, uh, peripheral approach to uh, uh, implementing Ruby. And uh, so I'm doing that, and then I'm working on uh, my next game, which is, uh, which is called Sasha OS. And the idea behind there is that you, you're basically interacting with this, this um, persona on your phone who's, who's like a super intelligent artificial intelligence. And uh, she's, she like wakes up and she, she calls you mom. She's like, mom, is that you? And you, you start talking with her, like maybe through the mic and there's some augmented reality uh, aspects to it. And oh, it explores, wow. it, it explores the aspect of, um, maybe raising a child. So almost like a, a Tamagotchi for adults where you're exploring the, uh, the nuances of what it means to be connected to an inanimate object and, uh, seeing that persona being exemplified and, in this like weird, cute little, cute little, uh, doll like figure that's on your phone and you'll raise it and you feed it, pet it and, you know, random things like that. And that's all done in Ruby and Ruby motion. So there, there's that exploration of that, um, uh, of that creative aesthetic that I keep, keep circling back to, but I still find myself, you know, still using these languages. And I think, uh, I think one of the biggest, most important things that I, that I felt, I feel about Ruby is this the ethos of Ruby or what I feel represents what a Ruby developer is. And it's part of it is the language. I mean, well, the language is definitely a, a part of it. But this mentality of how you approach problems or, or you know, how you create brand new solutions and things like that, it just, there's a, there's a Ruby, there is a Ruby way of doing those things. And I think I'm able to carry that from, you know, from each 
each gig or each uh, little project that I work on. Awesome. So I'm also curious, I mean, what, what's in the future for Ruby motion? So, uh, so back to this idea of like this ethos and what Ruby, what Ruby means. So Ruby motion effectively has corporate backing. Like there's no, there's no if, ands or buts about the future of, of, uh, the technology. So now the, the next piece is I think with regards to mobile development, we're kind of in the same position we were with web development back in the day. So uh, when Rails started coming out. So with, with mobile development, we actually have some really good maturity around the uh, pro, uh, open source products that are already out there. It's just they don't – some of the APIs feel really arcane. Like you look at UIKit or even you know any of the, any of the nice wrappers like, oh, I've got this like really great calendar control. Um, it just feels incredibly – next step type APIs or Java type APIs. And then they're both of these technologies are so IDE centric, right? Even mm-hmm. with, even with Xamarin, you've got, it's like use, use Android studio, use Xcode nine, use, you know, whatever. So there's this general need for that same kind of, um, productivity that, that Ruby gave, kind of, kind of afforded us on, on, on the web. And, you know, with build automation and everything. So with regards to, with regards to, uh, the future of, uh, of Ruby, Ruby motion and mobile, it's about instilling instead of, instead of re- boiling the ocean and trying to rewrap everything in idiomatic Ruby APIs, it's about pushing these idioms and concepts into these, these underlying frameworks and working with, working with people that have been maintaining these things and, uh, and, you know, lifting those APIs up so that, when Ruby motion consumes it, it quacks like a duck, right? So you might have a job implementation and the Objective-C implementation, they're completely different runtimes. But because the HTTP client that exists or the go-to HTTP client that has been contributed to, they have the same method signatures and the same you know type of hierarchical structures in their classes. They both quack like ducks. Mm-hmm. And then Ruby can just just leverage that. And I think uh, I think that's where... That's where the future lies because I don't want it to be a walled garden. I, I always worry about that's kind of one of the big big mistakes I think Ruby made, and you kind of see it with regards to machine learning mm-hmm. and um, you know where they are right now is that like we created a walled garden from that perspective and it's really beautiful in there, but there's so much outside of it that could be that could have been leveraged or that could have been lifted up uh, with these uh, with these philosophies and these ethos. So it's this it's the same kind of thing that I want to push towards uh, towards um, towards the uh, frameworks and things that are already out there and that have, you know, 50,000 or whatever, 4,000 contributors and, and all those or 4,000 stars on GitHub. And, uh, I don't want to boil the ocean. So the alternative is to do this. Right. And I think, um, I think it's a more, um, more sane alternative into, as opposed to going, Oh yeah, I'm going to just, you know, we're the Ruby motions community going to rewrite everything. It's like, it's not going to happen. So, um, that's kind of where I, where I see Ruby and then this, this idea of mobile computing, um, have you heard of Fastlane? Uh, I want to say yes. I can't remember exactly what it so, is though. So Fastlane is basically um, it's basically the rake and build pipeline for mobile. Okay. And it's written in Ruby, so it's like it's beautiful to see the adoption of Fastlane by by pretty much anyone that wants wants to do CI for for mobile, and it's all Ruby, and and it, and it's that encompassing aspect of 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 that productivity and the those aesthetics that 
Ruby brings outside of the language that uh-huh. needs to spread to other parts of uh, other parts of mobile. And uh, I want RubyMotion to to push push that initiative. Very cool. So let me ask you a question. Okay, go ahead. Uh, like with regards to this this premise about aesthetics or like the philosophy of Ruby, how does that how does that align with you know what you feel about the language or or uh, you know what it means to be a Rubyist or what it means to use Ruby? Like if Ruby wasn't Ruby, the language, what what would it be outside of just the language itself? I, I'm not completely sure I follow the question. <laughs> so the the premise is like. When I started doing Ruby, like uh, specifically with Rake, it, the simplicity of like just it just worked, right? The uh-huh. the the APIs that I used to do the simplest tasks were readily available, right? And then there was this evolution where I never felt like I was painting myself in a corner, uh-huh. and there was that next complex implementation of of said you know tasks that was available for me to evolve into if I really wanted to. Um, so like those philosophical aspects of of how you approach development is what what drew me to Ruby, and I'm wondering like what you've observed about about the community, about the language, about the framework. I mean, about the frameworks that is independent of just the language itself. It's yeah. a, it's a deep question. Like it's something that I've you know I've had a I've had to think on for and try to try to capture. Yeah, I think it's something that I would really have to think about. I mean, my initial response is that yeah, I mean the things that you're talking about here are the things that drew me to Ruby as well. You know, just the, the ability to approach a problem. And then, um, yeah, I didn't feel like I was painting myself into a corner. I felt like the solutions were out there and that, um, there was an approach that I could pick up to, to do that stuff. And to some degree, I see people solving some of those issues in, in new ways, like with crystal language or, things like that where it's okay well I, I need speed or I need multi-threading or something like that you know and so people have gone out of their way in different ways to remove the gill or move it down a level or things like that and, and I think that's all part of the aesthetic for Ruby is that you know people will find a way people will find a solution and the fact that the language itself is so approachable and um, and that people feel like they can just use it and feel free about the way that they use it. Um, yeah. And I think like even the upfront uh, investment, it's mm-hmm. like one file, one yeah. file puts hello and it, it feels so elegant yep. to be able to just, you know, just do that. And um, so uh, it's yeah. rare to get that in a language it really so, is. So if it lacked that, um, man, I, I don't know exactly. I mean, you know, there is a certain utility behind it as well. But a lot of uh, a lot of the utility that's there is there in other languages as well, and it's the aesthetic that really makes it pay off. And so, uh, for one, I just don't know that it really would have grown the way that it has um, without that, without that aesthetic, and without that feel for it that people have. Um, right. You know, I mean, and that that's really what it is. And you know, Matt's created the language that way for a reason. And then the community kind of grew up around it and we got things like Ruby gems and uh, rails and things like that that kind of extended that aesthetic to particular sets of problems and made um, made a lot of this approachable. Now, there's still code I find in Ruby um, in gems and APIs and stuff that don't fit that aesthetic well. Um, right. And, and it's funny because people will not use the library because it doesn't feel right. 
Yeah, and and you you kind of get that feel. It's like this doesn't feel feel like Ruby, even though it it's Ruby, right? But yeah. it just it doesn't have that. Yeah, it doesn't have that nuanced aspect to what makes Ruby Ruby. And um, it, it's prevalent, right? It's it's prevalent in the mobile community, and there's no, uh, I don't think there's any real solution to to that kind of problem. There's plenty of solutions to like the general tech and the libraries yeah. and the speed and you know those problems are being solved and uh, the right people are solving those problems. But yeah, but as far as how do you how do you how do you uh, take a beginner in in mobile development and how do you guide them? How does a language or how does a framework or how does a platform guide them to being, you know, proficient, extremely proficient to the point where they're contributing to low level Objective-C libraries, right? With that, with that same mentality in place. And, um, I think, I think that's where, uh, that's where this, this ecosystem needs help. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting. I've heard people talk about, um, specific frameworks outside of Ruby, like Angular or, React. I've heard a lot of people talking about React in some of these same ways, right? Because of the way that it encapsulates um, components and, uh, you know, how JSX works, you know, and not everybody feels this way, but it's the yeah. same kind of thing where it's, you know, it, it moves enough of the right things into the right place where we feel like the system itself has gotten out of the way and we can just express our code. Yes. And, yeah. you know, and yeah, to the degree that we can do that across programming in general, I think is, is very important. And some mm -hmm. people are seeing more of this in other languages like Elixir or Swift or things like that, where they've adopted some of the things that make some of this natural. And I, I think it's just a matter of time before we see more and more languages start to adopt the various aspects of Ruby that me, that meet up with this, um, you know, this feeling that people have. And yeah, not everybody wants the aesthetic or the the feel or whatever that Ruby has, or maybe uh, the way that Ruby set up doesn't give them the same feeling that you and I are talking about. But, um, you know, at the same time, there are enough people that do feel that way and have gotten that from it that, yeah, it's, it's interesting to see, you know, just everything that goes on there and what comes out of that. Yep. And uh, from my perspective, I just seeing all, a lot of different languages and being proficient in that, you, you you always have a relative to what right so mm -hmm. you know when when someone says oh that's you know that doesn't have x y or that's crappy it's like well relative to what i mean you're you're looking at it from the uh you would say you know vb for me vb6 was amazing and then it, and then i was like wait there's what's inheritance mm -hmm. you know there, there's something called inheritance and then suddenly you get polymorphic behavior and it was like how could i ever you know not do without this and then uh the the concept of blocks or you know implicit blocks or lambdas that wasn't that was foreign in c sharp until you know until uh link came out in 2008 so this this idea of i don't see the point of blocks is like well you've never you've never really used you know the power of blocks and you know procs and lambdas and all those things so um i i've got a i've, I've got those perspectives that i hope you know can can um you know bring uh bring that extra, you know, that, that X factor to, uh, to those, those initiatives that I have. Yep. And, um, you know, we'll see, we'll see what happens, but, but, um, you know, I mean, just talking with you, I feel like we're on the same wavelength as with regards to just this hard to explain, you know, a, a thing of the language. <laughs> yep. But at the same time, I mean, 
you know, it's, it's interesting just to see where things are going to go too, because I mean, Ruby kind of hit its stride and got popular on web development. And then, um, you know, a couple of DevOps frameworks came out in it, Chef and Puppet. And so it, yep. it you know, it launched a whole movement there. Um, a lot of the software craftsmanship folks came over to Ruby and, you know, affected that aesthetic and made it so that it, it wasn't just approachable, but also uh, practical for writing yeah. clean code. And uh, it'll, it'll be interesting to see where things go from here. Um, it seems like a lot of the innovations that are going forward from here with things like IoT or um, machine learning and things like that are all being done in areas such as uh, Python or JavaScript or uh, some of these other languages. But, uh, you know, that's not to say that MRuby or some of these other technologies couldn't catch up if they needed to. And I think it's yeah. just a matter of time to where it's all highly approachable from wherever you're living. Yeah, and I think uh, that's an interesting aspect to it, too. Um, I think we are getting into the age of bring your own language. Yeah. Um, so then it comes down to, okay, well, then what's the differentiating factor for your language if I can bring my own, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, that's why th- that's personally why I've, I've been reflecting so much on the aspects of the language that are independent of the language, um, which is again weird to st- weird to say. But we're I mean you can build I, you can build mobile apps in Haskell now. It's just it's crazy. Like yeah. there are people that can build uh, mobile apps in Haskell. There's a there's something called Clisp, which lets you do uh, Lisp to LLVM. So like uh-huh. you could you could even do that, and it's and it's. It's no longer, you know, a, a situation where it's like, oh, I can only use this specific language to target this specific hardware, and um, so you got to, you have to do something else that sets you apart. And I, I do feel that uh, Ruby is in a position that it, it provides something unique that um, not all other languages do. To some extent, you know, like you said, I've seen it in Node, I've seen it in Python, you know, I've seen it in some of these some of these other languages, uh, especially Closure. I love parentheses, by the way. Um, I really love closure from a language standpoint, but, um, it's, it's one of the few, I think uh, Ruby yeah. is one of the few languages that goes past, goes past just the language itself. Yeah. So it'll be, it's exciting. It's, it's exciting to see for me. Very cool. Now, before I get to my last question, if people want to follow you, see what you're working on these days, um, you know, where do they go? Is it Twitter or Facebook or uh, Twitter is definitely definitely the the place where I'm at right now. So at Amir Rujan, mm-hmm. and um, uh, I'm I'm always on the Slack channel and uh, the Ruby Motion Slack channel. So we have Emotioneers and community.rubymotion.com. If you have any questions, you know, even regard uh, regardless of Ruby, just like mobile development and business acumen around mobile development, just ping me, and I, I'll be happy to chat and you look at your app and give you feedback and all that other good stuff. Yeah. So, um, definitely. I think last time we had you on the show, you talked about a Twitch channel as well. Is that still something? Uh, so, so no short answer is no. Um, you have to be really diligent about that stuff, huh? (laughs) (laughs) It it really is a lot of work. And, um, so I found myself going on a Twitch when there's like a, uh, when there's like a problem, uh, not a really gnarly problem, but something that's like, I need to do this thing. And I think having a rubber duck, you know, like a, a person to pretend person to talk to, I'll jump on a Twitch for those kind of things. Um, so it's more of a like ad hoc thing. And then, you know, some of my friends will join on and then we'll shoot the bowl and stuff. But it, but it ended up evolving to that as opposed to as opposed to being a formal, uh, a formal um, thing that happens on a regular basis. Gotcha. So uh, therapeutic from that standpoint. Yep. 
but I, but I will post on Twitter if I ever jump on Twitch. So you'll see a, a link, a link come on out there. Awesome. So, uh, I guess the last question is, do you have any picks or shout outs that you want to call out? This episode is sponsored by Ruby Dev Summit, coming October 16th through 23rd, 2017. Hi, it's Chuck from devchat.tv. I reached out to some of my friends in the Ruby community to put on a completely free, no travel conference for Ruby developers. We have speakers like Uncle Bob Martin, Fabio Akita, and others covering topics from clean architecture to artificial intelligence and machine learning. The talks are happening throughout the day each day, and we'll have a chat available during each session. Attending the talks is free, but you need to register. Go to rubydevsummit.com. Let's see, picks. uh, I'm going to go back to mobile games because I just, you know, freaking love them. So uh, Mini Metro is a a wonderful game. You know, it captures the Ruby, the the aesthetics of Ruby. Like if you want to see what, you know, uh, a nice, beautiful game looks like. And if if Ruby was a video game, what would it look like? Uh, Mini Metro is one of those games that uh, I think fits really well from that. Um, Alto's Adventure, I still play that game. So uh, Alto's Adventure is uh, still still very high on my list. Uh, on my list, and one other game is called Doug Doug. So D O U G, D U G period, and it's it's a play on Dig Doug, mm-hmm. and it, you you play this like a redheaded dwarf that uh, it just wants to dig. And so you start like digging through the ground and you, you start going deeper and deeper and it becomes more, uh, more, uh, hazardous. Like you'll have, you'll have walls that collapse on you and like different enemies that try to kill you. And you just try to go as deep as you possibly can. And it's the, it's the most addicting little, little mini game you'll ever play. So, uh, those probably be my three picks, uh, mini Metro, Alto's adventure and dig Doug. And I think uh, I think all three of them are available on both iOS and Android, so you should be able to play play all of them. Nice. Um, I'm gonna throw out a couple of picks here. One of them is um, just an interesting place where I've gone to get input on things. Like when I ask questions, usually I find the answers in one of a couple of places. Um, the first one is usually Stack Overflow, but the second one that surprised me a few times is Quora. And so, you know, if you're looking for a discussion on a particular thing, um, you know, sometimes it's coding stuff and sometimes it's not. Um, yeah, it's 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 pretty cool. So I, I like Quora. Um, some of the discussions on there get a little bit way out there, but some of them I really like. So um, I'm going to throw that out there. And then um, one other place that I've gone to pick up some of this stuff that, uh, you know, like lately I've been learning Ionic Framework. Because uh, I have an Angular show as well, and so I, you know, I'm like, okay, well, what are the capabilities here? Um, and then I've also, uh, you know, picked up an Angular course on there as well as Udemy. Um, the trick to Udemy though is waiting for the sale. So you know, the the normal cost on the course is like 75 bucks or 150 bucks. If you wait, it'll go down to like 10 bucks or 15 bucks. And so you know, I think I picked up one course for 20 bucks and the other one for 10 bucks. Um, you know, and so I'm, I'm learning those technologies just to be a little bit more knowledgeable when I talk on those shows. So, um, I, am pretty sure they have courses on Ruby and rails and a whole bunch of other stuff. So if you're looking for stuff, uh, go check that out. And, uh, yeah, just, just interesting, cool stuff there. Well, Amir, this was fun. Yeah, it was good. It was, I'm, I'm happy to, you know, chat anytime and, and hopefully in the near future, we'll, we'll do a rogues episode and dig, dig a little bit deeper into mobile computing with Ruby. 
Yeah, absolutely. We'll uh, we'll get you scheduled and yeah, see what we can uh, come up with from there. Awesome. All right. Well, we'll wrap this uh, show up and we will catch everyone next week. Bye bye. Bye. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit c a c h e f l y dot com to learn more.